If you got your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter 1, and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 1. Jeremiah 1, and then Luke chapter 1. Our study today starts with this question. Have you ever experienced a moment that you felt like you were made for? You ever experienced a moment uh, that you felt like you were made for? Uh, That's where it just feels like everything just clicks. Everything came together, and it wasn't just something that God could have done with anybody. You felt like truly this was a moment made for me specifically, that I was supposed to be a part of this moment uh, and do this thing. This isn't my story, but uh, um, this is illustrated perfectly in a movie that I love called Rudy. Did you ever see Rudy back in the day? Sean Austin trying to play for the University of Notre Dame. Who knows why he wanted to play for Notre Dame. I'm just kidding. You Notre Dame fans out there. Anyway, I'll let say Rudy wants his whole life to play for the University of Notre Dame, symbolizes his father's respect also. It's kind of this beautiful story. And so anyway, finally, he goes through all this tragedy, all this difficulty, goes through all these practices where he's just beat the heck over and over again. And do you remember all of a sudden it culminates, the other athletes have come, laid their jerseys down on the table. I don't know how historically accurate it was, but it's a great movie. All right. And so what happens? Jerseys are laid on the table. And then finally, the day comes, he's about to run out on the field, and the team captain looks down at him because Sean Austin's about five foot three inches tall, all right? He looks down at him and he goes, Rudy, are you ready, champ? Are you ready, champ? And do you remember Sean Austin looks up at him and he goes, I've been ready for this moment my whole life. You remember that? Just the little guy looking up at the team captain. I've been ready for this moment my whole life. And then all of a sudden, the captain looks down at him and goes, then you lead us out on the field. And I'm telling you, it's this beautiful cinematic moment. He was made for it, right? Again, all that heartache, all that struggle, all that effort. And in the end, he was made for that moment. Runs out on the field, and it's a really big culmination of everything that he's navigated. You need to know. In your life, we're about to read some verses that for some of you should remind you, in a time of difficulty that you're navigating, God has made you for such a time as this, for such a place as this, for such a people as these that you're around. Look with me, if you will, at Jeremiah chapter 1, and I want to read you verses 4 through 10. These are words that we tackle at least once a year because they're incredibly important for us to remember, especially those of you going through a time of difficulty. Are you ready for this? It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Underline and highlight, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you. Look at this, and I will rescue you. And then I love this next word, declares the Lord. Underline and highlight that word declares. The picture here is that when vision is cast for Jeremiah's life, that he is for such a time as this, for such a place as this, for such a people as this. When that's cast for him, the first thing he says is, but Lord, I come up short. I don't measure up. And the Lord comes to him and says, don't say I don't measure up. Don't say I don't have the words. He says, I have gifted you. I've placed my words in your mouth. Look at verse nine. The Lord then reached out his hand, touched my mouth and said to me, now I've put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Stop right there for just a minute. What a beautiful thing that God reminds us. He makes us preconception. There is no accident in this room. In fact, if it has breath, God has made it with purpose. Amen. What a powerful thing for us to remember. 
God has gifted us so greatly before the womb, before conception. He says, I knew everything about you. And I set you apart because the world was going to need you. Because I desired for you to fill a beautiful role. I love the way it says at the end. He says, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to what? To uproot and tear down, to destroy and overflow, but also to overthrow, but also to build and to plant. Look at all these different things. It wasn't one thing Jeremiah was called to do. In this specific circumstance, it was five things that are listed, six things that are listed here. There's so many reasons that God gave the world you. And he says, I've set you apart with a great purpose. If you're taking notes, write this down, and some of you need to hear this today. You ready? There is no one better suited than you to maneuver through the challenges God allows in your journey. Let me say that again. There is no one better suited than you to maneuver through the challenges that God allows in your journey. God gave the world you in a powerful way because uh, he desires for you to bring about his glory and his plan. And there are some days where we specifically fit his plan, and it reminds us just how involved God is in our lives. It's kind of like building furniture. You ever built furniture before? Okay, building furniture is a task, all right? And uh, here's the deal. Autumn and I have built some furniture over there. She's smiling because she knows where the story's gonna go. So we've built furniture. Have you ever done this before? You try to build the furniture in the beginning. Some of you people are out there, just admit it without the instructions. You ever done that before? Just try to wing it, build, the, uh, build without the instructions, and then you get incredibly frustrated because building projects now are very, very complicated. Uh, and then there's some of you that are such rule followers, sometimes you can look at the instructions so many different ways that you try to do it by the book, but you just can't quite see it. It just doesn't quite work together. And so uh, we're building our son Jack's bed uh, at one point, and it's a bunch of metal pieces. And so it's this big, beautiful loft bed Uh, that uh, he kind of climbs his little steps and then he's got his little desk that's underneath it. Um, But this bed comes in a box that's rectangular shaped, right? And just a whole bunch of metal prefabricated poles. And so you snap these poles together and it creates this bed. Now here's the problem. You sit down and of course it has all these different testimonials of easiest bed I've ever put together, right? It's got all these testimonials of even a fool could put this bed together. And you're sitting there going, oh, this is great. And then we read online the different testimonials. Easiest bed I've ever put together. You go through, extremely sturdy, very well done. And we're like, all right, this will work. So we get the bed, we lay it out. I've decided I'm going to use the instructions this time for the first time in the history of our marriage. And I get the instructions out and I start to work on it. And then here's the deal. The poles just don't quite fit right. And I'm trying and I'm trying, and I'm trying, and I'm telling you, I finally get to the point where I was like, you know, if I get a drill, I can drill another hole here, and that's probably what the creators of these poles wanted us to do, was drill through the prefabricated metal so that these pieces would fit together. Autumn then comes in, and she goes, I don't think you're doing it right. And I was like, well, I'm trying as hard as I can. And then being the loving, supportive husband that I was, I went, oh, then you do it, right? (laughs) About 30 seconds passed, and she goes, you were doing it backwards. And all of a sudden, she goes, and it snaps together. You hear that glorious snap sound, right? Where it just clicks into place, the spot goes there, and something I'd spent an hour and a half trying to figure out, she ends up getting built in just a few minutes. Now, sadly, there are dented poles on our son's bed because of me trying to force it when it just needed to be clicked into place. 
Now listen to me. When it comes to our walk with Almighty God, you got to remember, you have been created pre-womb for such a time as this, and you will click right into place. There are some things that God has in store for you that you specifically were created for this moment to do. And that's a beautiful thing to remember. But what do you do when you're in the circumstance where it just doesn't feel like the poles fit together? Prefabricated, it should work, but it just feels like there are challenges causing us to get discouraged in the midst of us trying to build something for the Lord and for his kingdom. If you're taking notes, that's the big question we're going to address today. You ready? What should we remember when navigating sudden life-changing challenges? From the perspective that God has created me for such a time as this, for such a place as this, for such a people as this. But what should we remember when all of a sudden there's a challenge that we feel like is going to change everything? I don't know if there's a better example of that in Scripture or really in the world in general than when Mary receives news that she's going to bear the Christ child. It shook everything. Now flip over with me, if you will. Luke chapter 1, we're going to continue our study. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we have Mary here who is about to get her world just absolutely rocked with the blessing of blessings, by the way, that she would bear the Son of God for the sin of the world. But all of a sudden, we have her life and what she's planned thrown into an uproar. Let's look real quick. What should we remember when navigating sudden life-changing challenges? Let's look at Mary's story starting in Luke 1, 26. It says, now in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel then went to her and said, look at this, greetings, you who are highly favored. Circle, highlight, and underline, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now stop right there for just a minute. We're about to find that this scares Mary half to death, all right? And from the study that we did last week where we talked about Zechariah, it's the angel Gabriel that's named here uh, both times in both these passages. And both times when these God-fearing people come into contact with an angel, they get scared to death right off the bat. Gabriel probably needed to slow his roll just just a little bit. All right. No, I'm just kidding. Now listen to me. If you ever had this picture of angels as these like little fat babies with wings and a little big bow and arrow, you know what I mean? You got this little fat baby picture. Are you terrified of a fat baby with a little bow and arrow with a heart on it? Okay. Nobody is. Some of them are like, yes, I'm terrified of that. All right. Okay, I get it. You probably are scared of clowns too. Am I correct? All right. There it is. All right. There it is. Now listen, when you read about the heavenly realms, just a little side note before we get into this. It's not fat babies with bow and arrows that are defending us, uh, that they're working on the Lord's behalf to spiritually bring about the Lord's kingdom. Listen to me. It's stuff that godly, even ancient people who are a little bit more hardened than we are these days, man, I'm telling you, they were terrified. The idea is in the spiritual realm, the Lord fights for us with incredible awestruck, things that would awestrike us, incredible power. And that's what's taking place. This angel shows up to Mary and says, I realize in my appearance this strikes you with fear, but I'm not here to punish you. The challenge that's about to be put before you is because why? You are highly favored. You are highly favored. And not just that, but listen, the Lord is with you. Can I tell you why the Lord is with you is important? Because God can have no part with sin. 
So because of that, he comes to Mary and says, this is not to punish you, and this is not because you've done something bad. The challenge that's about to be put before you is specifically because you are one worthy of reverence in this circumstance. If you're taking notes, you don't take anything else away from today. Write this down. Are you ready? What should we remember when navigating sudden life-changing challenges? Number one, impossible tasks go to the highly favored. Let me say that again. Impossible tasks go to the highly favored. Can I tell you why this is so earth-shaking for some of you? Because there are some of you that would say, the most blessed I am is when I have the least amount of challenges. Where in the world do you come up with that theology? And yet, a lot of us judge God's hand and favor in our life by how easy everything comes to us. That's not the situation here. Mary has just had placed on her shoulders that her entire life is going to be thrown into uproar. She didn't live in Jerusalem. She lives in Nazareth. She's in a small town. And what she's just been told and the news that she's about to receive is that she is going to be pregnant by someone who is not her husband. And all of a sudden, this dream that she's had, she's tried to live holy all these years, this dream that she's had to marry Joseph, this dream she's had to have children in that community, and the dream that she's had to live a certain type of life has now been thrown up completely in the air because this blessing has been placed in front of her that's going to be incredibly challenging for it to bring about. It is not to punish her. It's the joy of joys. She will bring the hope of the world into being. The angel says, before I even tell you the news, you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. If you're the type of person that when any difficulty comes up, your first attitude is, well, God must be punishing me, right? God must hate me in order for me to have navigated this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? Know the difference between a challenge and a punishment. Know the difference between a challenge and a punishment. If you are the type of person that believes that if an easy life uh, shows God's favor, then why in the world did you move to Washington, D.C.? All right? Why in the world do you live here in one of the most complicated cities in the entire world? Can I just tell you, if you think that an easy path shows God's favor, I would like to know what passage of scripture you're reading on that. Over and over again, we find that we are given the great joy to suffer alongside the Lord for his kingdom and for the things that are eternal. Impossible tasks go to the highly favored. I want to read you a little verse here. Save your spot in Luke, but flip over to John chapter 17, just a few books to the right. John chapter 17, and let's read verses 14 through 17. Great verses. This is Jesus. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 14 through 17. This is a passage where Jesus is on his way to the cross. In fact, three, uh, uh, two to three uh, uh, paragraphs after what he's about to say here, uh, he's going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, this is a powerful moment that Jesus is praying. And here's what happens where persecution is on the horizon. Look at John 17, verse 14. Jesus prays this, Lord, I have given the disciples your word and the world has hated them for it they are not of this world any more than I am of this world so look at verse 15 my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you what that you protect them from the evil one they are not of this world even as I am not of this world sanctify them by your truth and your word is the truth stop there for just a minute if there was ever a time when Jesus wanted to protect his disciples from what was on the horizon each one of them 
would be martyred for their faith by the time it was 30 or 40 years after this, other than John dying in exile on the island of Patmos. I mean, I'm telling you, they would die violent deaths. So Jesus there in the garden says, Lord, I am praying for your will to come about. And when I think about what the disciples are going to have to navigate, I know that it's painful. I know that it's difficult. And I want to pray that they'd be free from pain, but that's not my prayer. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one. Don't you see? He didn't pray, I wish that their path would be easier. In the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's staring the cross in the face, he stares and says, and for those who come after me, God, I don't pray that their lives would be free from pain. I don't pray that their path would be easy. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one. It begs the question, have you wrongfully tied the Lord's favor to you having an easy life? Let me say that again. Have you wrongfully tied the Lord's favor to you having an easy life? A man only has so many stories, so I'm going to tell you guys a story that many of you probably already heard. But for me, it was the biggest example of impossible tasks going to the highly favored. Right before my father passed away, he asked me if I would be the one to preach at his funeral. And here's the deal. Dad wasn't famous by any stretch, but he was kind of West Texas famous. He'd been a pastor for about 20 years, and then he had been a traveling evangelist in that area for 22 years. And it meant that there were going to be thousands at his funeral. And here's the deal. I'd spoken in front of large groups before, but Dad was my best friend. And so to have to go and to be that final word, some of you through this last stretch with COVID and other things, cancer and other things, You've had to be the one to stand up and share that last word. It's an incredible gift, but at the same time, it is a very, very heavy weight to carry. I'll never forget he asked. I said yes without even processing it because I wanted to do this thing for him. And I remember on the day of the funeral, I had written out the first three minutes or so of what I wanted to say because I was afraid that I would lock up and not be able to speak. Again, I was grieving, but those first days, it's just very, very intense. Dad also had battled pancreatic cancer, and so, again, a lot of it happened in some ways so quickly, and in other ways, we watched him deteriorate so slowly. And so, all that's to say, the day of the funeral comes up, and I remember, it's at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. We walk into the room. That was the sanctuary where Autumn and I fell in love, where we worked our first ministry jobs together. Um, that was where my parents grew up. My parents met when they were in 10th grade and 9th grade, again, in the halls of that church uh, there in Lubbock. And dad had started, they were married in that church, and then dad started Paradigm, a collegiate ministry that met in that same sanctuary. And then all of a sudden, I walked through the doors, and I remember I walked down the aisle on the side, and I'm trying to hold it together. And then somebody, I don't even know who it was, somebody put their hand on my shoulder. And I truly believe it was just them wanting me to know, hey, I'm there for you. I know this is a hard day. But that touch all of a sudden turned the floodgates loose of the emotion that I was feeling on the inside. Like a duck on the pond kicking, all of a sudden I felt like I was beginning to sink. And that feeling hit me so hard that I ran down the aisle and right at the end of that, uh, that aisle was the choir room uh, there at First Baptist. And I remember I run in, I went into the choir room and there was a big round table and I went and hid underneath the table there in the choir room. It was about 15 minutes later 
the group had been looking for me and they found me and they sent a man named Greg Wallace over. Greg was like my dad's big brother and Greg planted a church in the Houston area about 30 years ago. Greg was early 70s at this point. Greg comes over. I remember a 70-year-old man climbing under the table, sat next to me and he goes, are you okay? I couldn't even speak. I just was totally locked up. And he said, we believe you're the one to do this. We believe that your dad wanted you to do this and that God has gifted you for this moment. He said, if you go up and you can't talk, he said, I'll be up there on the stage with you right next to you. He said, just give me a look. He said, I'll come up and preach it and nobody will think any different. He said, you're the son. Why shouldn't you be up on the stage, right? He said, nobody's going to think any different. I nod at him. It was at that point we walked up on the stage for the service and I didn't know if any utterances were even going to come out of me. But as I walked up to the podium, it felt like the Holy Spirit was carrying me. You see, I was made for that moment. I was supposed to speak. Not so my dad would be glorified, but so that the Lord would be honored. It was the moment ordained for me. I truly believe one of the moments from the time I was born. I walked up. I read my first three minutes. It truly felt like the Lord was carrying me. And I don't know if you guys have had this before. It's weird to have a moment that your brain kind of blocks out that's on video because you go back and you watch it and you go, I don't remember any of that, even though clearly it obviously happened. After it was over at the end, we shared the gospel that day, had a video of my dad doing the invitation, and 10 people made decisions for Christ at dad's funeral for crying out loud. It was such a special moment. Was the Lord torturing me by having me do that? Listen, no. Impossible tasks are given to the highly favored. The angel greets Mary and says, Hey, greetings. I know I'm scary. but Greetings, you are highly favored. And the Lord is with you. This is not because of some sin you've committed. The Lord's going to bring about something special. Have you wrongfully tied the Lord's favor to having an easy life? The most life-defining moments that you can have, especially in this city, especially with your family, with your community, are tied to you gutting it up and saying, Lord, I don't know how, but I trust you. I'll follow you. Now look at Luke chapter 1. Flip back over. Luke 1, and let's read verses 29 through 35. So here's what it says next. Luke chapter 1, 29 through 35. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. Look at this again. You have found what? You have found favor with God. We get that word repeated twice by the angel. This is not because you've done anything wrong. This challenge that's in front of you is because of who God has crafted you to be. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You will be with child and you're going to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus and he will be great and called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. What an incredible introduction to the Son of God, to Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke. He looks at Mary and says, I know you're scared, but don't be afraid. You'll be with child, and not just any child, but the Messiah that we've been waiting for all of eternity hinges on this moment. I love the humility of Mary here. Look at 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now stop right there for just a minute. 
Look back to Luke 1 verse 18 that we studied last week. Notice the difference between the humility of Mary, how will this be, and Zechariah's statement here in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Notice the difference, the stark difference between Mary's question and Zechariah's question. Zechariah looks at him and says, listen, I understand the biology of having a child. I understand that my wife and I have to be intimate in order for this to take place. He looks and says, how can I know with certainty? How can I be sure? Where's the proof that what you've just told me is going to happen is going to happen? Notice that Mary on the other side looks and says, my question is purely biological. How? How will this happen? I've not ever been with anyone. Her question is not, Lord, if you're going to do it, then prove it. Mary's question is, Lord, I trust you, but how? I can't do this on my own. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most, Holy, of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So this is interesting. The virgin birth is something that's tough for anybody to wrap their head around. I feel like when God gave us the vision to plant waterfront, it gave me a bizarre understanding of this passage that a typical person doesn't have. Because when I was 21 years old and had never been to Washington, D.C., in a time of prayer, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit planted this idea in my head of a place I'd never been and people I'd never met to eventually come here and pastor a church in Washington. I didn't know it was to plant the church. I just knew that my path in ministry would come through here. Autumn can tell you, we met when I was 22 and then she was 21. And the first time I tell her about this vision for Washington, I looked over at her and I said, do you think I'm crazy? And my sweet wife's response was, maybe. That's what she said. <laughs> idea. She goes, you've never even been to D.C.? She was like, not even on like a fifth grade trip, you know, to go check out the Capitol? I said, no, we couldn't afford it. I didn't go on that trip. So I've never been. She goes, okay, we'll see. That's not something I could have created in my head. Again, it was so bizarre the way that the Lord mapped that thing out together. The long version of the story can be told another day. Um, it's in that book, New Creation. Some of you can grab it on your way out if you're really, really interested in hearing the whole version of the story. But for Autumn, she said, we'll see. All of a sudden, we get um, to our first big ministry job at First Baptist Church in Grapevine, Texas. And the pastor there says to me, hey, I want you to lead a mission trip. He said, it's part of the job description. He says, you can pick anywhere you want to go. Well, at that point, Autumn goes, D.C. She goes, you told the story about this whole thing. She said, you haven't even been there. We're 24 years old, and we led a group. It was 42 students uh, from Texas that we brought up here to do ministry. Stayed at Star Bethlehem Church in Northwest D.C. through a group called Center for Student Missions. And while we were on that trip, it was just an amazing experience. More on that in a minute. But I felt like when reading about the virgin birth, this idea of something spiritual taking place that you can't fully explain or understand... I experienced that, and if you look around the room today, this church didn't exist seven and a half years ago. It started with a vision given to one person through the Holy Spirit so that we could be sitting in this room together today. In this circumstance, 
What should we remember when navigating sudden life-changing challenges? First, the angel says over and over again, impossible tasks go to the highly favored. You are highly favored, and that's why this is happening. But the second thing, if you're taking notes, is our challenges are to be viewed alongside the mission and message of Jesus. Our challenges are to be viewed alongside the the mission and the message of Jesus. The picture here for Mary is she says, I don't understand how this works. I don't understand how it's going to come together. And if I don't understand it, it's going to be real hard to explain it to other people so they can understand why I'm making the decisions I'm making and living the way that I'm living, why my belly is growing in this community that's small, not big Jerusalem, but small Nazareth where people are going to talk about what's happened here, where it may cost me my relationship with this man, Joseph, that I love and have wanted to marry. Our challenges have to be viewed. Why does, Mary go, why does Mary go through with it? She says, I have to understand it for the sake of Jesus. Because if it brings about the Messiah, it has to be done. If you're taking notes, write this down. Part of living for Christ is suffering with him. Part of living for Christ is suffering with him. I gave you guys uh, uh, my, uh, one of my favorite paintings, if not my actual favorite painting. Jamie Clack, by the way, my favorite artist. Jamie, are you here in the room? Jamie's my very favorite artist, all right? Okay, you're the best. Jamie's the one who always paints the, uh, the uh, covers of our bulletin, and she just gave me the new one today. It's amazing. And so uh, um, Jamie's the best. Rembrandt's all right. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so in your bulletins today... You've got a card. This is my absolute favorite painting of all time. Uh, It's Christ in the Storm by Rembrandt. Now, just a little fun uh, piece of trivia that goes along with this. It is actually famous right now because... It is the most expensive piece of artwork that has been stolen year to date. This is in somebody's garage or basement somewhere. Isn't that crazy? Uh, I think the last uh, estimation was $400 million that this painting is worth. uh, And somebody stole it in like movie fashion. This is also cool. If you look at the mast, um, the card is not the exact dimensions of the picture. The mast... Rembrandt started the whole picture by making an X from corner to corner, uh, and that's the way the mask goes in the picture. It's kind of a cool little, little side note for this. So here's what's interesting. Christ in the storm is the way a lot of us view struggle. Do you know why the disciples are on this boat for this specific moment? Because they are about to get to see that Jesus has the power through his word or thought to calm the storm and to calm the waves in an instant. They will, def- they will experience the defying of the laws of physics in the way no one up to this point, other than the Israelites, maybe at the Red Sea, have experienced. I mean, this is going to be such a powerful, life-changing moment. But how do they receive the challenge? Look at the faces that Rembrandt paints of all these different Uh, disciples in the boat. I love the guy that's on the far right trying to steer in the midst of the storm. Like him on the rudder is going to do absolutely anything when the waves are crashing there against the boat. I also love the guy on the far left trying to hold the sail down. Like that's actually going to do anything. And then the guy that's just below him, he's trying to hold the sail up against the mast, but it's tearing into two different pieces right there. It's a picture of us struggling against the powers of this world. We're trying our best. And then if you look in the darkness, in the darkest part of the painting, many believe that that's Judas because he sits there right there at the back and is considering abandoning ship, jumping off to the side and leaving everyone to themselves. Many believe that the man in the blue staring out toward the audience, that that was Rembrandt's painting, his self-portrait of himself. 
The idea is when the storm hits that you look and you go, God, how could you allow this to happen? How could you allow this challenge to hit me? And then you have Jesus there in the boat, but they've not gone to him for help. They've gone to accuse him, taking them on this journey. Look at the accusative look in the eyes of the disciples. You see, when a challenge hits, it's not a punishment. When a challenge hits, the Lord is going to create that as a, as a truly faith-defining moment in your life. And again, impossible tasks go to the highly favored. How do we know when we're in a Christ-in-the-storm moment? Because our challenges are to be viewed alongside the mission and the message of Jesus. It's why we put on the back for you. When the storm hits, find Jesus. Run to him and figure out how you can view your circumstance through the lens of God Almighty, through the lens of how it brings about the kingdom of God. It begs the question, can you find Christ in the storm? Can you find Christ in the storm? Or are you one of these disciples trying to make it happen on your own? Only Jesus can save them that day. And that is your truth today as well. Only Christ can pull you out of the mess that you're in. Only Christ can help you navigate the difficulty that you're trying to navigate. And then we get our next set of verses. Look at Luke chapter 1. And now let's look at verses 36 and 37. That's for you guys, by the way. Stick that in your Bible. Stick it in your journal. Or maybe some of you might even want to put it up at work. This actually, we've got a copy of this right before we moved to D.C. I got a big copy of this, and we had it framed, and it's been in our living room. And so uh, it's still there in our living room, just as a reminder. Um, many days I fill a different seat on that boat, uh, and I'm able to stop and to look at it, and it reminds me I've got to go to Jesus. Moving on. Uh, Luke chapter 1, now let's look at verses 36 and 37. After giving this incredible news, this heavy challenge, look at verse 36. The angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Verse 37 is a good one. For nothing is impossible with God. Some of you might need to circle, highlight, underline verse 37. Some of you might need to tattoo it on your arm. I mean, maybe not literally, all right? But you can, all right? It's, it's worth it. First, nothing is impossible with God. I love that the closing of the angel's words are to look at Mary and say, I know that what I've given you is heavy. And Zechariah asked for reaffirmation. The angel then looks and says, what we've just put on you is so heavy, is such a challenge. I want you to know that even Elizabeth, your cousin, that you prayed for for decades, your entire life, you've prayed that she would have a child. She is in her sixth month. And when you see her, it will be affirmation. God has worked. God is working. And he will work into the future as well. If you're taking notes, write this down. What should we remember when navigating sudden life-changing challenges? Number one, impossible tasks. Go to the highly favored. Number two, our challenges are to be viewed alongside the mission and the message of Jesus. And number three, all around us are affirmations of God's involvement. All around us are affirmations of God's involvement.
After planting that church, after having the vision for what would end up being Waterfront Church, trying to wrap my head around it and understand what God had cast for me, when Autumn says, why don't we go and take a mission trip to D.C. so you can see it for yourself? You had this crazy vision. Let's see if the Lord does anything. That first mission trip that we went on here to D.C., the Wednesday night at Star Bethlehem Church, when we opened up for prayer, the Spirit moved in such a powerful way, we began to see ourselves and went, whoa, maybe Maybe we are supposed to do ministry in this city. Three or four more years passed, continuous mission to the city, and we went, whoa, what if God's calling us to plant the church in this city? He began to form and shape the vision. But it all started with that Holy Spirit moment. I truly believe God gave me that beautiful first mission trip as an affirmation that this really was what we were supposed to do. If you're taking notes, a little quote here for you. In matters of faith, fear is a fog that keeps us from seeing God's providence. In matters of faith, fear is a fog that keeps us from seeing God's providence. So how does fear come about? I believe that one of the keys to understanding that comes from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It's one of my favorite verses. Proverbs 13, verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I love the personification of the tree as not just hope, but something life-giving when we feel void of hope. When we lose hope, when we feel like things cannot get better or something we've been longing for is not going to happen, hope deferred makes your heart sick. It makes you hurt from the inside. It radiates through your entire being and you feel trapped and isolated. It's that spot under the table at the funeral service. But a longing fulfilled is like a tree. The seeds of hope that were planted have sprung up into something that gets bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the years. Not only that, but the illustration illustration is that that tree all of a sudden provides fruit that will sustain you and nourish you. There is all around us tree of, trees of hope that the Lord has planted and turned into something that are very, very life-giving. I want to encourage you. Walk amongst the trees. Those of you who are in a time where you feel hopeless, things that you've been longing for that have just not quite come to be, look around you and remember God's affirmation. I won't say who today, it's their story to tell, but there are two individuals that are here at church today that we prayed for them to get a job for several months and both messaged within 20 minutes of each other on Friday that they had gotten the jobs that we've been praying for months on end and the Lord provided. For any of you here today that are looking for a job, I want to show you some trees today. Pray it through. Trust the Lord, stay the course, live for him in all things. And remember, a challenge is not a punishment. You're not being punished by not having work. Trust the Lord and know he is providing. We've heard story after story recently of people struggling with infertility, and the Lord has blessed in dramatic fashion this last stretch. Um, Again, it's their story to tell. There was one family uh, specifically. They went through fertility struggles for seven years. And they had the baby two weeks ago. Seven years of struggle, of prayer. And now it's just unbelievable. It's just incredible to watch the way the Lord is blessed. God was so good 
to give the blessing to Elizabeth before the challenge to Mary to bear Jesus as the Christ child. All of a sudden, you think about the kindness of God, the love of God to do this. He's provided right there before Mary a tree. And then we're going to study next week. Mary, the second after this is done, runs to that tree. She has to see it for herself. It begs the question today, final question, should you go for a walk amongst the trees? Should you go for a walk amongst the trees? Are there some of you here today that are going through such a difficult time, that have such a challenge ahead of you, you need to go and talk to one of those spiritual heroes that's navigated through difficulty. For some of you working on your marriage or your relationship, what you've had to deal with is so heavy and so brutal, you're trying your best to stay together, but it's hard. Can I give you a little bit of advice? You trust the Lord in your relationship. You submit to him. But finding a hero that's been where you are, can I tell you a dirty secret? They're out there in this very room, people who are right at the brink of being done, and we watch the Lord salvage their relationship in glorious fashion. Sometimes you need a hero. Even Mary, as godly as she was, needed a hero before she could bear Jesus as the Christ child. And then we get verse 38. We'll call it a day. It says at the end, I love this, Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Don't miss the power of this last verse. Mary says, I'm your servant. Where Zechariah has said, prove it. Prove it that you're going to do this. You've just cast this incredible vision for me in the Holy of Holies where no one else should be. But you better prove it to me that this is going to happen. Mary's response is not, okay, but I have some thoughts. I love this plan, God. I love this plan, Gabriel. But I have some thoughts on how it's supposed to come together. You've presented your argument. Let me present the counteroffer to you so that I can have a little bit better experience here in Nazareth. I'm going to need you to do this, 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 and this. It's the reason that Mary is what we call in Greek the Theotokos. means the God-bearer. Just for the record, we do not deify Mary, and I don't believe Scripture deifies Mary, but we have great reverence for her because she was highly favored. The Lord is with her, and because of verse 38, she looks at this amazing, impossible task that's been put in front of her, and her response is, I am your servant, and not only am I your servant, but let it be just the way you said. No counteroffer, no me pulling strings, no me saying that if all these things happen, no hooks uh, to negotiation, let it be just as you've said, I don't understand how it all needs to come together, but God, I submit to you. That's the reason we celebrate Mary at Christmas. The humility, the submission here, that's what makes her the Theotokos. That's what makes her the God-bearer. I'm the Lord's servant, and Lord, I can't even bring anything to the table. Lord, may it be as you have said. That humility is not common in this city and really in the world right now. I want to encourage you. Try to come to the point where you can pray in spirit. God, let it be as you've said. You know better than I do. Let it be as you've said. Thanks for listening today. I know it's weird getting to hear uh, the story of Mary and the angel in November, all right? But this is a story that's true for all time, not just for Christmas. Thank you for listening. Let's bow our heads for prayer.